What's up everyone, Kevin here from Skywatcher and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, we cover everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on imaging and observing. And of course, at the end of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Uh, so today is Friday, June 9th, 2023. That's when this episode aired. This is a live uh, stream, but all of our episodes are recorded afterwards. So if you ever want to go back and review a topic, everything is here at the uh, What's Up webcast. Uh, if you like what you see here and you want to support the channel, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Um, let us know we're doing a good job. Leave a like on a video. And then if you really want to support the channel, you can go over to the skywatcher.threadless.com store and you can pick up some cool swag. All of this goes to supporting the channel and keeping it going. So we definitely appreciate all the support and everyone that joins us on Fridays. And even those of you who can't join us, those of you who watch it after hours, uh, we definitely appreciate everyone being here. There is also a podcast version of the What's Up webcast now, and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts um, for Apple, Android, all of that. Wherever you get your typical podcast, you can go find the What's Up webcast through Skywatcher there as well. Um, but if you want the full versions with all the video and the graphics right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel, you can find all the episodes that we've ever done, and they're all saved and ready to go. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about luminance and color imaging. Um, this is kind of a style of imaging that I tend to work with. Um, and we're going to kind of dive into some of the technicalities of it and why I, I work with it in this way. And I've noticed other people that are starting to do it too and others who have done it. And I'll kind of explain how it's done and the advantages of it and how we can compare that to one-shot color imaging and, of course, monochrome imaging as well. Uh, we're going to be messing around with a little bit of processing today. I have PixInsight and Photoshop opened and ready to go. And if you guys have any questions, I'll do my best to answer them. I do have a lot of data sets that I can pull from and all that fun stuff. Um, all of this data that you're seeing today was shot at a remote observatory. This is Skies Away Remote. They're in Central California. If you ever want to know more about them, you can go to their website, skiesaway.com, and find out about their hosting and stuff like that. But that is where our instruments um, that take these images are based out of. It's a Bortle 2 sky, seeing generally about 1.2 arc seconds um, at that location. It's a very nice location, and they are a Spree 150s. Uh, the cameras are ZWO6200 monochrome uh, and color cameras. So anyway, that's a little bit of the background of where all this data is coming from. So in astrophotography, we have two different approaches when it comes to selecting a camera. And there are pluses and minuses to both of them. So... Of course, the most popular one, especially nowadays, are the color cameras. Um, this is just kind of some review um, that we've done in previous episodes, but just to kind of warm things up. Uh, One-shot color cameras, or OSC, to abbreviate them. Of course, these are color cameras, uh, which means their sensors are have a bear matrix. And the bear matrix is basically... Um, each pixel has its own filter over the front of it. Some pixels are green, some pixels are blue, some pixels are red. Um, it kind of looks like this. This is what a standard 
one shot color camera sensor is going to look like. So you have your typical sensor, then over the front of each sensor is basically this very tiny filter. And when we look at those uh, pixels, we have our red, green, and blue. And each pixel is assigned a color. So as light passes through, the green is only going to allow green to go through, the red only allows red, and the blue only allows blue. Um, so that's the only color of light that is going to be entering that particular pixel. Now, one-shot color cameras make imaging very convenient because in the course of your imaging time, you're going to be able to produce a very nice detailed color image without the need of any fancy filters or anything like that. You just right out of the gate get a color shot. Now, that can be difficult uh, when you are trying to be a little bit more selective of what you're letting through especially when we're talking about narrowband. Um, a narrowband, if you're not familiar with that, that's where you use specialized filters to isolate certain wavelengths of light. Most popular are hydrogen alpha, sulfur 2, and oxygen 3. Now, if we were to put a sulfur 2 or H alpha filter in front of a color camera, it's going to filter out all the light except red, which means only the red pixels on our color camera are going to operate. The green and the blue, there's no light really getting to them because the filters are only allowing red light to pass through, which means only 25% of our sensor is actually being utilized, and you're basically wasting the other 75%. This is what happens when you put a H-alpha or S2 filter in front of a one-shot color camera, or this process is pretty much the same no matter what narrowband filter you use um, when they're only single narrowbands. So if we're using sulfur or H-alpha, we have our red, green, and blue light, our filter, and the filter's only allowing red to come through. The green and the blue are not activated, therefore wasting 75% of our sensor. Now that's also going to be the same for the O3 filter. The O3 filter is more in that greenish part of the spectrum. Um, but it's only going to allow the green light. And the, luck of, uh, the nice thing about a one-shot color is there's more green pixels than there are red pixels. Um, so in this case, we're using 50% of the sensor, but nonetheless, we are still wasting 50% of the sensor. Now, there are new filters that have come out in probably the last five years or so. Um, and there are these multi-band, narrow-band filters. They're kind of popping up everywhere. You have the Antlia dual bands, like the HA and O3 versions. Uh, of course, you have Optolong with the L Enhance and the L Extreme. Um, and there's all kinds of filters out there now that allow you to take narrow-band images with a one-shot color camera where it's activating most, if not all, the pixels on the sensor. However, the disadvantage of using a color camera for any type of narrowband work means you cannot specifically isolate a certain wavelength without basically wasting a portion of your chip. So that's the advantage of the monochrome camera. Now the monochrome camera, um, you find that a lot of the, some of the most serious astrophotographers out there are using monochrome. And monochrome does not have the bare matrix on the sensor so the sensor looks like this it's just a typical sensor 
There's no colorized filters in front of any of the sent the particular pixels. So all the pixels are being used no matter what. So we can use any color filter that we want and all the pixels are constantly being activated. So if we're using a red filter, only the red frequency of light is passing through the filter, but the whole sensor is constantly being utilized. So it doesn't matter if we're using red, green, blue, or H-alpha, O3, S2, doesn't matter. A monochrome sensor is always working at 100% resolution and we're not wasting any of its resolution or capabilities like we would on a color camera. However, if we want to colorize a monochrome image, you need to shoot that target in red, green, and blue, and then go back and process it. So the advantage of a color camera is convenience. I can get a, a nice color image in an evening out. Where a monochrome camera, I get the increased resolution and sensitivity, and I get complete control over every single channel. Now the gap between color and monochrome has really narrowed over the last few years because color sensors have gotten so good. And for a lot of us, we're just taking pretty pictures. So the ability to break off H-alpha, O3, S2, or control all the channels is less and less of a desire for people because a lot of people have very limited time to get out under the sky and they just want to take a pretty picture that allows them to post that online and share that with their friends maybe make some prints a one-shot color especially a modern day one-shot color like a 533 or a 571 or a 455 based camera uh any of those sensors, whether it's, you know, ZWO or QHY or whoever the manufacturer of that is, those sensors are so good, they're so clean that an evening out, you're going to get a very nice image. But if you're going to do a monochrome camera, you're kind of strapped for time a little bit, especially in the, you know, the summer months where the, the time is short. So... You still have to take your luminance data and then you have to go back and do your RGB. So in order for you to complete a full image in monochrome in one night, you really need to utilize the entire night. Um, and that's the big thing because a, a, a monochrome image really goes off of a good luminance channel. Luminance is the structure that holds everything together and is basically the backbone of it. So here's a luminance frame of the western veil this is like four hours or something like that but there's all kinds of structure in here um, you can just see how delicate the detail is in here um, and there's a lot going on in there but that's because a luminance channel is letting all the colors through all the light it's basically just the uvir filter and the monochrome sensor is sucking all that light up and you're getting this really high high resolution because the chip is getting utilized however the disadvantage is okay here's my western veil let's say this is four to six hours to complete this luminance channel this has been two by two i just blew through four to six hours on my luminance channel that is the backbone of my image i still have to go back and do rgb so Either I need to shorten the amount of time I'm spending on my luminance to complete the shot in one night, or I'm going to have to be out where I'm going to be 
a few nights in a row. So that's the hard part. And probably one of the biggest things for a lot of people nowadays is monochrome means more time um, invested in, well, whatever. Uh, monochrome means you're going to be investing more time into your shot because you're allowing your, but you're gaining more control over your image. So we're kind of starting to split hairs at the moment. But what if we could take the convenience of color, one shot color, and blend that with the capabilities and structures of monochrome. Um, so here's a nice luminance channel. Here's a color channel. And then the two applied together. Um, so that's really what we're going to be talking about today is taking luminance and applying one shot color. Now, I will mention this, that this is kind of a very roundabout way to not doing RGB. Usually when you do this, we're talking two telescopes and we're talking two cameras and they don't have to be the same uh, because of uh, pics and sight and software like that that can actually register and align things that are different sizes. Um, but normally you're going to want your highest resolution to be on the luminance and then the color really isn't a big deal. Even if the tracking sucks on your color data, it doesn't matter. Even if the color data is noisy, it doesn't matter. All we're hunting for is color. So this is why I try to shoot this way is because a lot of times I'm trying to produce an image that I want to share with people. Maybe we're using it for an ad and it's all about time. How much data can I get in one night? And it makes it way more convenient to produce a very high resolution detailed image when you're doing two. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. It's kind of like contact. Why have one when you can have two at twice the price? And you can do this with any kind of telescope out there. It doesn't have to be two Esprit 150s. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are doing similar stuff. Uh, like this. You can even do it with two monochrome cameras where one is shooting luminance and the other one is doing RGB simultaneously. So you're able to complete 12 to 16 hours of exposure time in one night because you have telescopes doing twice the work. Um, you have one focusing on your really high res luminance and you have one focusing on your color. And that way you can get a really nice detailed shot in one evening and take a basically a completed setup uh, data home and process all that for one night out rather than having to go out. So this is really just about maximizing your time and capabilities in the course of an evening or being able to dig deeper into the sky in less time. Um, so I'm gonna bring up Photoshop here. If there's anything you guys have questions on, I'm not a master at processing, but um, this is just what I go through and I'm also going to switch me out of here and we're going to go full into Photoshop. Um, so everything right now has been stacked and is registered. Um, if you don't know what stacking is, stacking is where you take a bunch of individual pictures. We call them subs. You're going to take a bunch of individual pictures of your particular target. And then you're going to go in and you're going to stack them to get what I call the master 
frame. And normally you're going to stack this with your calibration frames, which is going to be your flat frame and is going to be either a dark or a bias that's been stacked as well. You apply all that and you get one nice uh, clean image. So when I'm doing this type of imaging, I've actually got two master images. I've got my luminance master and I've got my color. Now you're going to notice that some of my color frames are gonna look kind of weird. Um, they're gonna have these black, you know, angles on them and the reason of that is is because we're shooting with two telescopes I have to make sure my color channel is going to be aligned or what's called registered um, in PixInsight to my luminance channel so here's the luminance that's my main frame that we go off of and here's my color channel and you can see they don't move from each other at all um, because they have been aligned to one another now, the only thing I really care about in my color image is the color itself. Um, it has nothing to do with anything else. I'm only here for the color. And this is exactly what you would do with LRGB imaging, but rather than having to go RGB, I just have my telescope that's got the color camera sit on the target just as long as my luminance. So if I'm doing six or eight hours of luminance, I'll just have the color camera pound away doing the same thing. So at the end of the night, I've got 12 to 16 hours worth of exposure time total in an image, but I've collected color and luminance at the same time. So it's much more convenient that every night we go out, we're leaving with a very basically completed shot. Um, so here's what I like about it. Uh, so right here, this is a very nice colorized image of the Western Veil Nebula, which is my favorite nebula in the sky. It's actually coming up right now into Cygnus. Um, definitely worth looking at or imaging this time of year. Um, but this is the Western Veil. Uh, and there's all kinds of stuff in here. There's a lot of dust out here, which is very hard to see. And then there's all kinds of stuff here, um, more nebulosity in the veil as you get into the middle where Pickering's triangle is and stuff like that. Uh, but this is a very nice color image. Um, we could adjust it a little bit, like we could go into layers. Now, this is just the way I do it. You can do whatever you want. Like I said, I'm not a master at processing. Um, we can darken it up just a little bit. I've already kind of played with it and stretched it a little bit in PixInsight. So we'll just get our color the way we want it. I do adjustments, vibrant hue and saturation, maybe kick up the saturation a bit. And that looks pretty decent. Like, I'm gonna just go ahead and flatten that. So that looks pretty decent other than our weird crop right here because of we're going to align it with the luminance channel. Um, but this is a very acceptable color shot, I think, right here. Um, if I had this just as a color image, I'd be pretty happy with it. Um, if I wanted to pull more detail out of it, I would have to sit there longer with my one-shot color camera and expose over and over and over again, probably another night or two, um, to really get more detail out of it. But so far, this is a pretty acceptable shot. The stars are a little bloated because we're using a one-shot color camera bin two by two, which does bloat the stars a little bit because 
unlike a monochrome sensor, if you bend two by two, it puts the four pixels together. It has to get weirdly done when it's a one-shot color camera because not all the pixels in that four by four square, because it's green, green, blue, red, it gets really kind of weird with a one-shot color camera. So your stars actually get a little bit bloated if you're binning on a modern-day one-shot color camera. It still comes out. There's still some nice detail in there. The tracking was a little bit off, um, but it's still, you know, for the most part, it's, it's pretty acceptable, especially when you're going to be viewing it at this resolution right here. But we can do better. So... You could either sit here another night and image more and stack more detail on that, or we can dive into a luminance channel. And the luminance is really where any monochrome image, that is the image. Other than that, we are just colorizing that. So let's go over to the Western Veil and luminance channel now in here you can see oh hey there's a dust cloud down here and there's all this nebulosity up here all that kind of gets washed away in the color shot right here it's there but we just can't get a lot of the detail that we want out of it and what you'll notice is the luminance because the camera is being utilized at full resolution even if it's been two by two we are maximizing that camera's resolution um, even at bin two by two matching whatever the focal length and the scene conditions are for that night. But you can see just how sharp these stars are. And the detail here is phenomenal. There's just a lot of just very elegant, uh, delicate little streamers in here. And that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for a very high resolution shot right there. And you can see that because we're running on a monochrome sensor, even at bin two by two, and this is at, where's my magnification? Let's see, what are we at right now? Even at 200% um, is what we're at right now. You can see the detail in here is very good, uh, very impressive. And this is only a six inch telescope there too, but we've matched this up with the scene conditions and the pixels. Now, if we were to do this on this image, let's go to 200%, bin two by two, it's okay. Uh, the detail is there. It's a little washed out, which is A, due to the little bit of tracking error that we have, and B, we've just lost a lot of resolution on our camera. Even with a ZWO 6200, which is a 60 megapixel camera, at bin two by two, now we're down to 16 megapixels. And then I don't really know how that breaks down further when we're shooting a one shot color bin two by two, but the detail is there, but it's not nearly as good as our luminance frame. So what if we combine the two? That's what we're basically talking about. Cause I wanna colorize this and get some really nice detail. Uh, I want my really nice structured luminance shot to have color but my lumen, my color channel has tracking issues, but I like the saturation of it. So here's how I recommend doing this. So I have the telescope shoot this at the exact same time. One shot luminance, one shot color. 
I went through, took each data set, I stacked them into the master file. So I have the master luminance and then I have the master color. They're both stacked individually in PixInsight. Then what I do is I open the luminance channel, I do a star align, and then I register the color image to the luminance. And if you guys want to see this, I can let you know how it does it. But if you're using PixInsight, you kind of know how it works. And I align them. So now my color is aligned for my luminance. And then I bring it into Photoshop. And that's where I do the rest of the work. Um, and that's what works for me. So before we throw the luminance in here, I'm going to adjust a little bit. So let's bring down the levels. So it's darkened up a bit. Um, that looks pretty good actually. We'll just leave it there to get our contrast in there. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and hit the selection box up here, the marquee tool, and we're just going to highlight and select the whole thing. Then we go control C to copy it. And now we're going to step into our color and we're just going to pop it right over the top. And because they're registered already, we don't have to mess with any kind of alignment. So you can see it just pops right over the top of it and everything lines up really nice. Now, what we have to do here is now we have to apply the luminance onto the color image on the background. So in Photoshop, the way you do that is you're gonna open up layers and it's always defaulted to normal. Make sure you have your layer one selected, which is what you just pasted over the top. You're gonna drop that down and there's all different kinds of settings in here. Normal is where it usually sits, but if we're applying a luminance frame onto color, we need to go down to the bottom to luminosity, hit luminosity, and then you can actually adjust the opacity on how much you want to put into it. I always do 100%. Here's why you do 100% and you don't back it off, is if you don't do 100%, it's going to let some of the structure of the color panel come through. So if you have any kind of bad noise or tracking errors or something like that, like we do in this shot, that is going to allow any of that structure to pop through onto the luminance channel. We don't want that. What we want is just the color to come through, but all the detail and all the structure is from the luminance frame. So uh, we've applied that. And now you can really tell the difference here. So here is, this is my luminance applied with the color data. And then if we turn it on and off, so there's our color, no luminance, there's them combined. And you can just see all that subtle detail starts to pop out really nicely in that, in the sections where they were kind of weird and cropped, um, they will show up through here. Cause you'll see up here, there's a color right here and then it's black and white up here so that's going to bleed out and bleed through we'll just go ahead and crop all of that out when we're done um, this is part of a mosaic and basically there's going to be overlap that covers a bunch of stuff so but what i want to show you guys here is when we zoom in let's say go back to 200 percent 300 percent so here's what we're looking at now is we have all of that really nice detail because of our really nice um, luminance frame. All that structure is there, but check this out. So because we're not letting any of the structure from the color come through, you can see the color right now without the luminance, those stars are streaked. They're a little bloated. 
they're not great. But the minute we throw the Luminance channel on, boom. Because we're only letting the structure from the Luminance sit and only the color coming through. So our stars are perfect. The color looks good because it's registered to the same spot. So we're getting all the convenience of the one-shot color capability, and then we're letting the luminance come define all the structure. And that also is going to help level things out as far as noise go, especially if you spend a fair amount of time getting the luminance going um, and really precise. But even look at this stuff over here. Like if we turn that off, like all this little detail, it's there, but there's nothing great. But the minute we throw the luminance on there, it's so defined. Um, and it looks really good. So that's where I find uh, this process works really well. It's kind of like a hybrid of the two. And the major disadvantage of this is we are talking two cameras. We are talking two telescopes. Um, but a lot of us already have that already. And you could do this with your larger telescope imaging one high resolution and then all you need is like a wide field telescope and a color camera doing the color because we're not going to care how nice the color detail actually looks. We're only there for the color um, and that's it. The structure is all done on the high resolution stuff. Um, so let me uh, go on down here. Here's another example. This is the bubble nebula. Um, we're going to go in, adjust the levels. This is my luminance frame. It's a little bright, so we're going to bring that down. And what I find that monochrome imaging is really superior at is dark nebulas. So I'm going to, that's pretty good for my luminance. Here's my color. Color looks okay. What I would recommend on this, and I was playing with earlier, is this is a stack. And what you want to do with your color data before applying your luminance is you want to make sure you mess with your saturation. I always go to hue and saturation, bring up the slider, and you kind of want to push it to where things start to get a little ridiculous. Um, so like, I'll do this to like 45. So it looks good, but it's starting to get oversaturated a bit. Um, but that's okay because what happens is when you apply the luminance channel over the top, it's going to greatly diminish the saturation of the color. So what we want to do is we kind of want to set it, our color channel to be oversaturated. And then when we apply the luminance on top of it, it's going to give it a little bit more of a pastel look and calm it down. So um, we've adjusted the levels of our luminance channel to give it a little bit more structure. We have the color set up. We have it registered. That's why it looks all kind of offset and weird. That's one of the biggest problems you're going to run into doing this method when you're using two telescopes is getting the frames as close as possible um, to the two. And we spent some time dialing it in. It's not perfect. I do have to crop my images a little bit, but it's close enough. And if you're using a telescope that's piggybacked, um, which you can do, it might be a little bit easier to dial all that in, especially if it's wider field, which answers the question. Is it easier to do this piggybacked or with two mounts or two completely separate systems? This is done with two completely separate systems, which makes it really easy to automate the two and just let them go. Um, another advantage to doing 
two setups is let's say you shot color or luminance on one object and you could have the other one acquiring data on the next thing. So what I'll do is, especially if I'm doing a mosaic, what I will probably do is I will have the luminance uh, run through. Like on this, mo on my veil mosaic, what I did was like four hours of luminance. So on like a summer night, I could go through and I could get about six hours. So I would do basically one and a half panels a night. So I would do, I would complete one panel, then I would start an additional two hours on the next panel and finish the next night. But then I could have the color telescope bouncing around doing what it needs to do as well. So I'm able to actually compile more data that way and actually image different targets simultaneously, or I could have it run together. So having two setups is nice because if you're doing larger projects, you can actually have it work on various panels or various targets simultaneously. Now you can also do it tandem mounted or piggybacked where you have them basically pointing to the same spot and imaging on one mount that does simplify things, but then you're just running it on one target. So it just depends on how elaborate you want it to be. Um, so you can approach it in any way you want to do it. Um, our friend Ron Brecher, um, he actually does this, but he has one mount. So he'll have the Esprit 150 shooting, I think, monochrome. And then he has an FSQ piggybacked, as Takahashi FSQ 106 piggybacked, and that's doing the color. Because that's all you care about is the color. It doesn't care about the resolution because all the high resolution work is being done on the luminance channel. The color is just there to literally collect the color. That's all we care about. Um, so anyway, do it however it works for you. Uh, two telescopes I find is better because um, it gives you way more capability. However, the disadvantage of that is it's very complicated if you're setting that up in the field. If you have an observatory, two different setups, that's easy. You set them up, they're aligned, they're done. But if you're going out into the field, that's a pain. So piggybacking, if you're a field imager, is probably the best way to go and running on one mount. But your mileage may vary. It just depends on how you want to approach it. But whatever the monochrome camera is going to be mounted to, make sure that is your highest resolution instrument. Because when we're shooting luminance, we're after resolution and detail. Leave the wide field and basic imaging to the wider field instrument. We don't care about the resolution of the color. We just want the color. So throw it on a RASA, throw it on some kind of fast telescope because the more information, the more data you can acquire in color, the better your saturation, the better your color is going to be. And we want that throughput. Even bin it two by two. Get as much data as you can in the color channel because that's going to help your color look better. And then leave your luminance to just literally pound away at the highest resolution you can. So what I will do is, if I have good seeing at the observatory, I will let the luminance telescope sit there at one by one, full 60 megapixel image, and just let it run all night on that target, acquiring all that high resolution detail. The color one, I'll just let it do its thing for a few hours. Maybe if it's very faint and I know the saturation isn't going to be great, I'll let it sit there for as long as possible. But I'm usually running that at two by two bin, 
no matter what because I don't care about the resolution of the color. I just care about the resolution of the luminance. So going back to the bubble here, we've got the saturation is pushed a bit and right at the edge to where things are starting to look a little choppy. Um, you can go up here and you can do all kinds of crazy noise reduction. Um, on here, you can see my stars aren't looking too good either, but we'll go ahead and smooth this out as much as possible because we don't want any of that coming in. And then we can go here and check out the noise for our bubble here, which doesn't look too terrible, but the resolution's still pretty good. Um, so we wanna get our marquee tool, highlight that, control C, now this is all aligned already it's been registered we're going to apply the luminance over here again going to drop down to luminosity and there we go so you see the color looked a little weird maybe almost on the edge of too saturated but the minute we pop the luminance channel on it levels it out it's still a little on the pastel side um, it's a little bit grayed and washed out at that point but we can go ahead and merge that down whoops actually step back um, go in here really quick and show just how this works once again uh, back this off a little bit so if we take out the luminance you can see my stars weren't really that great in the color channel they were actually a little bit worse on this one so there's streaking again I'm doing bin two by two so the stars are gonna be bloated even though the focus was dead on it's just your stars get bloated there's this really cool dark nebula in this region, um, not f just below the bubble, um, right in here. There's a dark nebula there. It gets washed out. We need more exposure time, honestly, on this to bring out more detail. That's the advantage of the luminance. So the minute we pop the luminance on here, let me zoom in, pop that in there and boom. All this structure is in there. Even right here is really cool. There's like this dusty reflection nebula sitting right here. So we take that out. It's kind of there, but none of that structure, none of that detail that we want to see is there. But the luminance is what brings that in and locks it in. So you can see right there, it's a massive detail between luminance, just one shot color and luminance. And also because the luminance is so good and then we really spent time to dial in and get the resolution there, the stars are phenomenal on this too. So all we're caring about is the color and everything else pops right out. So it's a very cool way of doing it. And this was all done in one night, which is the adva nice advantage of this. So we can go ahead and layer, merge that down. Maybe we'll crop it a bit to get rid of our weird... Uh, registration artifacts where it kind of cuts it all out go ahead and crop that now we can go back to our levels and just make sure it's looking good it could be a little darker don't clip the blacks i have a lot of people who do this where they take it and they go farther in space is not black as much as we think it is but it's there's a lot of dust in there a lot of very faint detail it's doesn't need to be where you're clipping the black side of things. Um, we can go and mess with our curves a little bit if we want and just start kind of, you know, messing around with it. See, there's all kinds of cool detail in there because of the luminance. So we can kind of play around with it a little bit. Um, but 
you know, at this point you can kind of mess with whatever you want. Um, but yeah, you're just getting really nice structure and detail because that luminance is there to back us up now. And you can, like I said, you can go in and you can mess with all this and make it as weird as the way you want it to be. But um, the one shot color image isn't bad, but it's just the structure that the time it would take for you to get the same amount of structure as it's going to be in a luminance frame is going to be a long time. And odds are you're probably going to have to run it at one by one bin on a modern day color camera because if you're running two by two, your stars are going to bloat because of the weird binning that occurs. So it's just not as sharp and is not as detailed or precise. You're going to spend way more time on a single one-shot color image to equal what you could do on a monochrome. So that's why we're taking the best of both worlds and putting them together. You're getting the advantage and the capable you're getting the advantage and the convenience of one-shot color and then you're getting the uh, resolution and structure that's produced on a uh, monochrome sensor. But it really comes in handy when we start talking about really faint, dusty things uh, like LDN nebulas, Barnard nebulas. So this guy right here, this is LDN 1334. Um, I think it's called the Smoking Dragon is uh, what it's called. I don't know if I remember it. Let's see, LDN 1334. Yeah, it could be all kinds of names but yeah ldn 1334 is what this nebula is i think it's up in cepheus as our most dusty things but one shot color has a very difficult time even in dark skies doing nice dark nebulas so here's the frame all stacked and registered with a one shot color camera there's some nice saturation in there there's a lot of really lovely blue stars in there we can see the nebula in there but we have a lot more time um, that would need to go through or some pretty heavy processing in order to bring out more detail in this image and dark nebulas are very difficult to get that structure out of them because they're faint um, and this is all taken in a Bortle 2 sky so it's very dark and even after several hours of exposure this is pretty faint so we can mess around with this bring it down a little bit and even if we bring it down a little bit and darken things up it's still not really there so that's the difficult part is you've just spent all this time with your one shot color camera and it's there's a lot of cool stuff in there we just can't bring it out so what we do once again is we're going to take a very nice luminance channel where the structure is all there and it looks good and then we're going to go ahead and apply that and turn that on and boom so you can just see how much structure comes out at that point so basically no nebula nebula no nebula nebula and you can go in and you know adjust your saturation and clean all that up later um but again we're just getting the convenience of that luminance frame or the convenience of the color, but the power of the luminance frame. So let's go ahead and crop out. This one's going to be a weird crop just because of how it all. Boop. There we go. Um, 
that looks pretty good. Then you can go in and you can go back to levels and kind of clean it up there a little bit. So we can bring this down, kind of just play with it. It's all digital. If you screw up, just go back and fix it. So, um, you know, we can mess with that. Just have fun with it. Cause if you're not having fun with any of this, then it's not for you. But um, that's what I really like about doing the luminance is I can bring out all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but I don't like sitting there doing RGB um, imaging. Yes, Cameron, this would be very good for IFN um, as well. Actually, let me find it really quick. Um, let's see. Here's L and C. I'm trying to open some files, but it is rebelling against me. Okay, so speaking of IFN, so I'm just gonna get rid of this stuff. I don't need that. We talked about all these, but it's very good with faint nebulosity, which is what we're after. Um, let me get rid of the bubble, get rid of that, and we're just gonna work on M15. So, um, IFN, for those who don't know, is Integrated Flux Nebula. Um, it's all over the place. It's like celestial cirrus clouds, which you can kind of see in this image right here. This is one shot color, um, but you can see the IFN. This is M15, and I've looked at M15 a lot, and it wasn't until I shot it with a modern camera, like the 6200s, that I noticed that there was IFN in the region. Good advantage of dark skies and modern cameras, but you can see this looks pretty good. Um, but let's bring this one. I kind of reversed. Um, so I registered that. I don't even think on this one globulars, you don't really have to mess too much with. And on this particular night, the color was killing it. Um, the stars are still a little bit bloated, but we didn't have any tracking. I think we just cleaned it all up. Um, but it looks pretty good. And let's just switch some of this up a little bit levels are okay don't want to go too far uh, flatten that down let's mess with the saturation a little bit kick some of that up because generally um globular clusters generally have a lot of blue stars around them so um so that looks pretty good and then let's go in here it's gonna crop kind of weird Usually I pin everything against the uh, luminance channel and I don't let the color dictate the framing. I let the luminance dictate the framing. But anyway, let's just try it. So here we go. Copy, pop that over the top. Luminosity. And you can definitely see a little bit more structure in the IFN nebulas down here. So let's just go ahead and get rid of this. And rotate that a little bit. There we go. Bring this in here. Boop. And boom. So crop some of that out. Um, but you can definitely see the difference in the integrated flux nebula with just that little bit of luminance put into place. It looks a lot better. I think I had some tracking issues on the luminance on this one. Yeah, 
so you can definitely see this one it just happened to be that night but the color telescope was working really well the luminance had tracking issues on there and it's streaked and because we're letting that come through we're having to deal with that structure being applied to our image so we might have to adjust the luminosity or the opacity down a bit and that's where you could mess with it but normally i let the luminance do the work on there so anyway um that's how we do it it's not difficult um let's see who would like a eight inch rasa cubesat in orbit uh that'd be kind of cool um so anyway that's really just the advantage of using luminance and one-shot color so obviously one-shot color is always going to be convenient and you're going to be able to go outside and you're going to be able to leave with a nice colorized image for the most part um, you can also do this by utilizing uh, narrowband filters to weave uh, narrowband data into a color image as well which i've done on like m42 and i've done on the horse head where you have a one-shot color and then you can actually weave like hydrogen into it um, or other narrowband stuff. So you're still taking advantage of the capabilities of a monochrome. So how I would set it up, if I were to set my own setup up like this, I would have a one-shot color system and then I would have a, a luminance uh, monochrome system. And the monochrome system would actually be loaded with probably a five position filter wheel, which would be luminance ha03 i don't care about s2 but s2 and then maybe a dark and that one i would only do my luminance and my narrow band and then all the color would be done on the color camera um so that's how i would set a modern day up modern day dual uh setup up there is my monochrome is just for the luminance and narrow band and my color just does color keeping it very clean and easy. Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. We can do this in GIMP too. I've never used GIMP. I, I know it does a lot of cool things, but I've never used it. I've always just used Photoshop and I've worked with Photoshop so long that it's just what I'm used to. Um, PixInsight is a big one here's PixInsight right here but i use PixInsight to do all my stacking and registering and stretching because i like how well PixInsight's auto stretch works um i don't use a lot inside of PixInsight beyond that once everything's stacked and registered and stretched then i bring it into photoshop and mess with levels and curves and all that fun stuff and then if i'm doing a mosaic i will use different ways to stitch all my frames together but um yeah gimp i think does a pretty nice job i've seen some really impressive stuff come from gimp but i've never used it personally so uh but anyway i don't see any other questions uh, if you have them now would be the time to throw them in but that is how i do luminance and uh one shot color imaging um as you can see it works very well the only disadvantage here is you do need two cameras and two setups but most of us have all of this nowadays too because a lot of us either have a color camera and have upgraded to luminance or you know we always have something floating around it seems like 
Um, but if you like what you see here on the WhatsApp webcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a like on a video. If you want to support the WhatsApp webcast, please go over to skywatcher.threadless.com. Um, all this stuff goes to supporting the channel. Let us know we're doing a good job. Um, we are still in June. Um, we're doing uh, Totem. Target of the month this month is Abel 39. So that's a good one. Get out there and do it. Um, we also are running a sale on some stuff finally. Whoops. Would be helpful if I could get that up real quick. Skywatcher. Whoops. Do, 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 do. There we go. Um, we have our dobs are on sale now. Um, so if you're looking for a dob, we have several dobs that are on sale. We also have our jumbo shrimp sales going on right now. So you can get a really good deal on the Evil X6282 as well as some Star Adventurer gear as well. Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff that's on sale right now. And then in August, we will be at Starfest. We're going to Canada for the first time. So um, if you're going to be joining us up and if you're going to Starfest, the Skywatcher team will be there in August as well. So I've uh, got a lot of stuff uh, going on and it's a lot of fun for us to be here. So thank you all for supporting the channel and being a part of it. Um, but that is our luminance and color imaging uh, setup. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, next week, uh, we are talking about star hopping. Um, so this is a pre-recorded episode. It's happening on Friday, June 16th at 10 a.m. I will be at the Grand Canyon Star Party. So if you're going to be at the Grand Canyon South Rim, come find me. Um, be happy to uh, say hi and talk and i'll have my 28 out there um and be happy to talk to you guys and show you around and talk star hopping and whatever else so um but we're gonna be talking about that next week uh that is a pre-recorded episode it takes place right here 10 a.m pacific um but we will be back live um the following week i think that's the 23rd of june we'll be back live once again um, but yeah, that is pretty much it. So, uh, thank you all for watching. Definitely appreciate it. Hopefully this was a, uh, informative episode for anybody. If you ever have questions, you can always email us at info at skywatcherusa.com or reach out at support at skywatcherusa.com. Um, other than that, please have a great weekend. Stay safe, clear skies, and I will see you guys in two weeks, uh, live back here. I hope you enjoy next week's uh, episode as well. And if you find yourself at the Grand Canyon, come by, say hi, and I will we'll talk. So thank you very much, everyone. Take care. Have a great weekend. And we will talk to you guys very soon. Clear skies. Bye.